My last guest this week, certainly not least, is J.D. Gardner, founder of Aptis ETFs. And I would say Aptis is a bit of an under-the-radar ETF issuer. Uh, So this may surprise some people. They currently offer five ETFs with nearly $2 billion in assets. That's led by the Aptis Defined Risk ETF, ticker symbol DRSK, D-Risk. Very nice ticker there. And J.D. is now on the line with me from Fairhope, Alabama. J.D., it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Nate, the pleasure is mine. I, I appreciate I appreciate this podcast, and I've been a listener, and I'm just surprised that you invited a hillbilly from Alabama on, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, well, hey, look, I do think some investors might be surprised to learn that you're managing nearly $2 billion in ETFs. And I checked this morning, so I'm showing you've taken in around $800 million just over the past year or so, which puts you in pretty good company in the ETF space. So give us some background on the ETF business. I, I know the first ETF came to market in 2016, but it's really been over the past couple of years that I, I feel like things have really accelerated. So talk about the path here. Definitely. So, it, it's, so that's a that question I could take a, a bunch of different routes, but um, I got mesmerized by the ETF structure. And when we were kind of originally launching the whole idea was to have passive ETFs, but have very active, like have a lot of active share within the index that we were creating. Um, and that was that was before the active ETF rule passed, which I think it's probably worth spending a minute or two on that because I think it is it's 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 a snowball effect that's impacting the asset management industry um, in ways that I don't think that the industry is really aware of just quite yet. So well, the the short version of a longer much longer story the last eight years is hey we were really attracted to the the etf infrastructure and and the efficiencies we could get out of it um when you first launch etfs and i'm sure anybody that's ever launched an etf can can um relate to this you're available only at like the only place you can actually go get assets is fidelity schwab td you know you're basically limited to the independent channels um, so that's what we did, and we started building relationships. And then this whole service world opened up for us where um, we're both an asset manager but also a service provider for advisors. Like, we just try to be as good of a partner as we can be. And so it's led to a couple billion in ETF assets. We have another probably $2.5 bill in kind of just other assets we help advisors manage. And so that's a, a very shorthand version of kind of the path that, you know, we're about $4.5 billion now and um, I like appreciate you saying under the radar. I, I, I do enjoy when somebody says, where are you located? And it's like lower Alabama, Fairhope. <laughs> never heard of it. Never heard of you. <laughs> and you're like, well, we've got a, we've got a couple dollars under management. Definitely not BlackRock, but we feel like we're <laughs> we're building something that makes makes some sense. So. All right. So, look, your most popular ETF is currently the Aptis Defined Risk ETF. Uh, this seeks to mitigate what you call the bad math of bonds. So explain what this ETF does. Yes, so D-Risk is really our bond replacement, and we launched it. We launched it because the big drivers were, number one, we felt like there's issues with bonds. Obviously, this year has been like that they've been brought to the forefront. Um, We think those issues will probably be, uh, you'll, the reasons that you held bonds in the past are not going to be the reasons to hold bonds in the future, and I think we needed something to help like directly replace bonds. What I mean by directly is, can we generate better returns, but can we deliver the risk that's similar to a bond? Because you you know, investors 
everybody's, you know, it's, it's all relative returns when everything's up and interest rates are dropping and equity markets are flying and the Fed's pumping liquidity and uh, everybody's concerned about relative performance. But as soon as that music stops, everybody wants absolute returns. And, and so you've got these issues with bonds right now where absolute returns are negative when you've got risk assets negative. And so we, we wanted to launch something that could have similar risk metrics as a typical bond fund, but have much better upside. And fortunately, we launched in 18. We've been able to to deliver on what we had hoped for. And so I think the the backdrop for bonds then and now are make a whole lot of sense for having to, to kind of rethink your bond allocation. And last thing I'll say, and this could open up a can, but we also saw tons of demand for like structured products, buffered notes, you know, you, you name it, however you want to characterize some of that stuff. Um, and, and we think those make sense up to a certain point, but we, we also think that there's a lot of kind of underlying issues with those types of, of exposures that we wanted to, you know, we wanted to offer, pure, you know, full liquidity, similar risk adjusted returns, no matter what day of the week it is. Um, and that's, that's kind of what, what we've been able to accomplish. In terms of what de-risk actually holds, as I understand it, there's, there's three basic components here. So you're laddering investment grade bonds. You then have a basket of call options, which, which obviously you could capture some upside. Uh, and as I understand it, those options are on individual stocks or they could be on, on indexes. And then you have a hedge in place where, where you're buying put options. Can you just talk about like how those three work together? Yes. Yeah, so you're right. So about 90% of de-risk, 90 to 95% of de-risk is just going to be bonds. And we typically build a seven-year ladder or less in investment-grade corporate bonds. Um, so there's really nothing exciting there. And then uh, we always, like, where the interesting part of de-risk lies is, is in the options. And I know options is, you know, a financial dirty word for most people. You hear options and you run run away as fast as you can. But um, everything that we do is is very like defined risk. Obviously, that's the name of the fund. Um, but we we think in general that you have to have, from a portfolio construction standpoint, we're huge advocates of owning less bonds, owning more stocks as returns drivers, but blending that over addition or that over allocation to equities with forms of volatility ownership. And so we get our volatility ownership through puts and calls and the way that we blend calls with puts like you've got this real interesting relationship where when markets are rising we should be positioned because of the inherent leverage of the call options um to to participate in the upside but when markets are falling you know you can see this during the COVID crash during the fourth quarter of 2018 there's a really really interesting relationship with how we build the puts and calls together how we blend them together where you actually own, um, you, you can benefit from volatility rising. That, that's kind of the point of, you know, our, our view of, hey, we think volatility is a good thing to own in asset allocation, given the backdrop we have in markets today. And by the way, I think listeners would appreciate to know that uh, I saw you're using target maturity bond ETFs for the bond exposure, right? ETFs like bullet shares, the iShares term Correct. bond ETFs. What, why do you like using those for, for that exposure? Yeah, the biggest thing is secondary pricing, and that's a fancy way of saying when when a shareholder goes to interact with our fund, we want our pricing to be as tight as possible. And if we were to spend the time to build, like to actually go buy the underlying bonds, you know, the market makers would have to price that accordingly. 
And so when you when you actually use I-bonds or bullet shares or whatever we're using, those are actually loaded up on equity pricing chassis. And that may be too complex for today's discussion, but the what happens is market makers get to, they can control risk much in a much more defined manner. And so therefore spreads are tighter and shareholders get to interact with the fund a lot more efficiently. So that's the reason we use them. All right. The other four ETFs under your umbrella are the Aptis Collard Income Opportunity ETF, ticker symbol ACIO. There's the Aptis Drawdown Managed Equity ETF, ADME, the Aptis International Drawdown Managed Strategy, ticker IDME, and then the Opus Small Cap Value ETF, ticker OSCV. Do you want to, uh, I don't know, maybe perhaps highlight ACIO, or you can talk about another ETF if, if you like. I'd love to just... Uh, have you dig into one of these other strategies and, and talk about what they do? Yeah, I, if I could, can can I just highlight, and ACO has definitely been, it's probably gathered the most interest um, year to date, and we're, we're actually getting some, you know, and again, we're in Fairhope, Alabama, not used to, like, we've, the business has grown, assets have grown, we're really, you know, I still pinch myself, but we've had a lot of institutional interest in ACO, which has been like, just not normal phone calls for us, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but but before that, I'd love to just talk through why I think we're, you know, the, the, the flows that we've seen into our suite of funds has happened. Um, and yeah, I think please. that might dovetail into maybe. Yes. So I think that anything that's options-based, I think there's two huge points to make. I, I'm a huge advocate that if you can opt to not own bonds in favor of some type of hedged equity, I'm a big fan of that right now. Um, and, and we don't have to go into all the reasons, but you know, I know rates have risen. Bonds might be more attractive than they were six months ago, but when you're dealing with inflationary pressure, you know, it's still a very difficult environment for fixed interest payments. And so if you can own more equity, I think that solves a lot of issues. And so there's a lot of options-based things out there. What, like... We are trying to be, we're trying to deliver not only on the messaging of options-based exposures, but also like efficiency in that messaging. So when it comes to the execution, and what I mean by that is, if you look at most of the options-based gorillas out there, and I'm not going to name any names, but pretty much everything is calendar constrained. And so obviously when you're dealing with the price of a stock or when you're dealing with an underlying stock, you just have to worry about price. There's not a whole lot of other derivatives of that. When you're dealing with options, you've got all the Greeks to worry about. And what I've never quite understood, I love options-based exposure. I think you can define risk better. I think you can control return streams better. I think you can avoid things that lack potential of return. Um, but when you're dealing with something that's calendar constrained, and like this is a simple example, but like say you put a hedge on, right? Like you've got a market hedge on, and that hedge carries, let's just say, a 40 delta. It's a 40 delta position, which means if the underlying moves by 1%, it's going to move by 40 cents. So, well, say the market sells off 7 or 8%, and you're constrained by the calendar, you can't actually adjust that exposure. You, you basically hold a bear fund now, meaning you cannot participate in the upside. And so what we're trying to do as a suite is we're trying to harness the efficiencies in this active ETF structure to deliver options-based exposure that is not calendar constrained and we think has structural advantages 
in how we're we're deploying it. And I think that's why we've got the interest that we've had recently. Yeah, in just about a minute left. So how does that translate to something like ACIO? Explain what that does. Just just high level. Yep. Yeah, very very high level. Aptus collared income strategy. It's it's a it's a simple collar. So you're long a basket of stocks, you're short covered calls on those stocks, and then you're long puts. And the way that we, like the differences in, in ACO is, number one, we're not constrained by the calendars. We're actively managing the hedges in our options position. But we sell individual covered calls. That is um, selling individual covered calls. Typically, you sell individual calls on single stocks at much higher implied vols than overall index exposure. And there's a reason for that, obviously. But when you look at our structure versus other structures, it typically have, like we have a structural advantage, in my opinion, and that our upside is typically much higher. Those covered calls are your ceiling, and we get to raise the ceiling, but we don't have to necessarily adjust the floor because of that implied volatility differential. And so being able to have that structure and have the ability to actively manage that structure as markets dictate the need to do that has been a really, really big advantage for us versus you know other options-based competitors. And I think that's partly why having these different return drivers embedded and a lower vol return stream is a really good thing to have right now, not being handcuffed, if, if you can, you know, not be handcuffed to fixed income. Well, JD, with that, we're going to have to leave it there. Really enjoyed uh, the conversation this week. Congratulations on all the success. Certainly look forward to connecting again down the road. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having us. That was JD Gardner, founder of Aptis ETFs.